0: Welcome to the Lead Wasps podcast, the only podcast in the world that specifically hosts international infantry guests. This week we are commemorating the 30 year anniversary of the First Gulf War. Your guests are Rick Hogg and Mark Kelly, who both served in the same platoon in the 1st Battalion, the 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment, with the 82nd Airborne. And without further ado, the Lead Wasps podcast, episode 37, is live. They on the whole right no oh, alpha confirm that's bombs dropping on main track. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was there um, for the 25th anniversary, and mm. you know, here's the thing: if if you want to start recording this thing, because we'll start running our soup coolers, <laughs>
1: it's already honestly
2: going. <laughs> okay. Cool. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Um, no, but see, here's the thing: I was there for the 25th anniversary, right? And here's the critical mistake I made when I left there in '91. I said, "All right, sure, glad I never got to come back here." mistake was on this guy so for the 25th anniversary i remember guys are chuckling because um what's i think it was stars and stripes had you know newspaper articles i think they were stay, playing stuff on the tv in the chow hall and guys would see it you know it's like 25th anniversary of desert storm it's like yeah yeah what do you what do you rookies know it's like yeah i was here back then it's like oh a
1: break so. yeah man yeah I, I think a lot has gone by but like you said, it feels like it was yesterday. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of that has to do with the fact that Rick and I stayed in touch the entire time. But um, yeah, man, it's a blink of an eye, buddy. Blink of an eye.
0: Yeah. yeah. He he just mentioned just uh, before you came on there that uh, you guys were in the same platoon. I didn't I didn't realize you you were working that close together. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. You can <could>, yeah, man.
0: <laughs> hopefully, oh. hopefully we got some some get some dirts uh, on each other later on. But, uh, oh, first of all, we start with an opener, uh, on, on the lead wasps and that space you just telling us a little story of, uh, something that you done on deployment and maybe we can, uh, make it specific to that Gulf war deployment, something that you'd done on that deployment that at the time you wanted to keep quiet and keep to yourself. But now you don't mind admitting, uh, 30 years later, if you have one of them to mind, uh, wow.
1: fire away. God, I got, I got something that, um, I thought was amazing. And it's a story I've told a couple of times is when, um, the second bounce, once we, uh, the ground war started for us, we ended up at an airfield and I, I believe and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, I think we still occupy it till airfield. Yeah. And, um, we're clearing buildings. I mean, this is the first time that I think anybody stepped foot there and we're going through these buildings we're clearing it. And the very first room that I get into, and I remember there was a, uh, there was an air force tack with us um, for a short while and we enter this room and there's some desk and you know we're grabbing some papers and masks and stuff like or maps and things like that and the first thing i saw on the table was one of those old novelty ballpoint pens that said this pen belongs to mark (laughs) and i said you're fucking a right. It does. Cause I think put it right <laughs> in my pocket. Yeah, man. The very first time. I, and I, I still have it. It's in my, uh, in my stuff. I'm sure yeah. that,
0: I'm sure that was Saddam's pen.
1: Was it? I, I tell everybody that <laughs> when I tell the story that it was. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, I grabbed it and stuck it right in my pocket. And that was my man. That's the only thing I brought back with me. That I re- that That I remember that I cherished was that stupid novelty ballpoint pen. And you still have man. it. And it's nice. I, I still have it. I wish I'd have brought it. <laughs> I'd have thrown it up there.
2: Man, that's a good score. I got I got zip for scores. I think the only thing I got was like the token bayonet they gave everybody. It's like, uh-huh. hey, here's your here's your bayonet for showing up. Um, yeah. But do you remember when we were up at Talil? Um, we ended up I don't remember. And this is where you know I tell guys, hey man, if you take anything away from your military career, journal. Make Mm -hmm. a note, you know, that's the one regret I've got because it would have been cool, especially for the 30th anniversary to sit there and go, hey, what were we doing February 2nd? I don't remember. I don't think think the ground war kicked off until the 16th and we went up shortly thereafter. But Mm -hmm. when we went up to Talil, we ended up um, occupying some of the officers' housing. Do you remember that, Mark? Mm -hmm. I do. I do. And and, um, you got to think, man, we had some crap conditions up to that point. Whether we lived in that big old garage uh, down there at Camp All American, uh, I think they finally moved us actually into some buildings, but we still were snoozing on cots or on the floor. Uh, slept out in the desert for the longest time, oh, man. and then you know, then we finally took you know to the airfield. So we're sitting there, you know, doing the clearing stuff, like Mark said, and um, we paused point one night. We ended up taking over a house, and I don't remember if the platoon was all in the one house or if we split into two or how we all did that. But dude, how many Joes can you stick in one bed? All of them. Yeah. Dude, we were stacked in this bed like cordwood, man. Um, I remember it was freaking it was cold up there and it was like, man, a bed to sleep on. Come on. How many can we get in? Hey man, you got room for more? <laughs> sure. Jump in oh, here, yeah. you know. So I, I don't know if you were in that same I can't remember if we split houses or if we were all in the same one. I don't remember.
1: Yeah, I don't remember that particular bed. But <laughs> yeah. I do remember um the fact that. You know, we had gotten there so quickly that there was no infrastructure. I mean, a lot of the times the food was being brought over, um, in, uh, in paper bags from Hardee's or uh, yep. Burger King or whatever, because they wanted us to hang onto our water and our, uh, MREs because shortly thereafter, we were in the middle of nowhere. There was no buildings, there was no cots, there was mm-hmm. nothing. And that was for the longest haul until we, like you said, start occupying some of those buildings guys
0: yeah. nice. all right guys what we're gonna do now is just introduce the the episode so right here I've got uh, mark and uh, Rick and <clears throat> we're doing a 30th anniversary special of the Gulf War uh, and Mark and Rick are going to give the themselves a little introduction here at the minute but um, yeah During this episode, what we're going to cover is uh, basically the the pre-deployment for these guys, what they were up to pre-deployment, what they they got up to and what they were involved with on deployment, and then some of their overall thoughts and feelings about um, Iraq in general from that 30-year period uh, into what it has went through and what it is now. So if you don't mind, guys, just give yourselves a a quick introduction and, and brief the guys as to who you are.
2: Go ahead, Rick. All right. Hey guys, so I'm Rick Hogg with uh, Warhog Tactical. I'm a 29-year U.S. Army Special Operations Combat Veteran. I've taken my time as a Special Force Advanced Urban Combat Instructor and my 13 combat deployments, both Iraq and Afghanistan, and I've harnessed Warhog Tactical. We provide mobile firearms, tactical, and canine training to law-abiding citizens, military, and law enforcement agencies. And uh, I'm also the co-host of On the Range Podcast with my good friend Mark Kelly, who, yes, we both served together in the same platoon uh, in Desert Shield, Desert Storm back in 1991. So... Yeah, buddy.
0: Yeah, Damn, man. it's like you've read that before.
2: Yeah, it's the old elevator oh, yeah. <laughs> pitch, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was
0: a good one. Hasn't,
1: cha- hasn't changed much. Nope. Yeah, man. Sounds good. First time out of the gate. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Mark Kelly. I'm a uh, seven-year U.S. Army veteran, uh, combat veteran. Like uh, Rick said, served with him uh, during the Gulf War also. I'm a 28-year active law enforcement officer. Um, most of my time during law enforcement was uh, SWAT, uh, tactical operations, and I was coordinator for the Department for Dignitary Protection for two election cycles, uh, one being the primarily uh, the one with uh, in uh, 2016, and uh, had a lot of opportunity to tra- train with uh, the Secret Service um, in uh, Beltsville, Maryland, also with the FBI in Quantico, and I've taken those uh, years of uh, service in the tactical area of law enforcement and in the military and uh turn them into kelly defense and as rick mentioned a uh, proud co-host of on the range podcast and uh yeah man we've been doing it ever since
0: hell yeah um awesome guys and it's good to get uh, other people other guys on who you know who are putting the message out there doing their own their own thing in media and podcasting and uh, training as well just spreading the word and spreading the good vibes around the around the troops but um You know, it's funny, actually. I got a message the other day. It was like, um, I had one of the the guys on the UK who who runs a a large podcast. And he said, um, you know, the message was, oh, why the hell did you have that guy on? He's got, you know, he's got a bigger platform than you. Um, And he's, you know, surely he's your competition. And I'm like, come on, that's not how it works. If like you raise, you know, you raise one guy, we we all win, we all raise. If somebody wants to have another podcast guy on, it's not a competition. It's, you know, if one one wins, we all win. We, we raise each other. So thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to sit down and talk with us on that. <clears throat> I couldn't be more happy enough uh, for being able to get this podcast out here for the 30th anniversary. Um, but let me just take take it back to your pre-deployment. At what stage of your career were you at then uh, in the lead up to, to this kicking off?
2: So we were basically both uh in the u.s army you've got this rank called spec 4 so it's an E e4 uh, a lot of people refer to it as a spec 4 mafia uh-huh. and pretty much e4s in that you know you're not at least for the u.s army you can be a corporal which would be a non-commissioned officer or you can be a spec 4 or they just call it a specialist nowadays um and really they're the guys that know all the scuttlebutt kind of know what's going on the ultimate shammers know how to pass the uh the work <laughs> off to the even the lower guys right and I think we were both spec fours at the time, if I remember right, Mark. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, it, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, the E4s, the uh, specialist spec fours, they uh, they pretty much got everything done. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. supervisors would pass it on down because they got it from the platoon sergeant. And then uh, we would make it happen. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, you hear some of the horror stories sure. of the uh, uh, spec fours taking advantage of that uh, responsibility. But uh, I think we had a really good group that went over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when uh, we ended up going over there, you were very heavily involved with the uh, fire direction center, I believe, right? Yep. I think you were on a gun at that time. You were on uh, the no, fire direction. I... So you're the brains of the operation. And uh, yeah, uh, we were bo- we'd both been in the service for a while. We'd both been friends for a while. Um, had a lot of, I guess, a lot of miles under our feet as far as the job went. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's about where we were.
0: Um, awesome. Where Whereabouts were you stationed and, and what was your unit's role at that uh, point of time?
2: So we're at Fort Bragg. We were at the 1st Battalion, 505th Parachute Regiment, 82nd Airborne Division. And I think a key part you need to understand is, you know, Desert Shield kind of came out of nowhere. So literally, we were out in the field uh, doing a field problem, if I remember, Mark. Yeah. I don't remember all, all the details. But literally, I think uh, platoon sergeant went back to do the chow run, you know, basically get breakfast for the boys and think it was if my memory serves me right uh like august 3rd here's a, a newspaper he brought back and it was uh iraq invades kuwait yeah and i think literally within that day um pretty much packed everything up broke everything back went back to uh to the company area and dude it was here's the rats going so there was really no wasn't like we were training for it it just happened um understand we were in an era that we just had, you know, the woodland BDUs, so we had a couple days prior to leaving because the Air Force couldn't get everyone out. So I think at some point in there they gave us a couple sets of DCUs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we didn't get the fancy suede boots till we came. <laughs> Basically, when we're back at um, in Saudi Arabia, getting ready to come back home, it was the old, yeah. you know, <laughs> green and black jungle boots.
1: Yeah, we had the uh, Vietnam era jungle boots on the green ones. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You man. know, with some here is some hokey chocolate chips and. Um, you know, so there really was no pre-deployment. It was pretty much pack your crap, get back. Here's your packing list, load up. Um, really didn't know a whole bunch of what was going on. And off we went, I think within probably, what'd we get out of there within a week? I think
1: it was definitely, it was definitely soon. I mean, it <laughs> there's no way it took 10 days for us to get over there. No, no way. Uh, and with a lot of people do know that, uh, the U.S. Army Airfield, uh, Pope Air Force Base was right there. So it didn't take very long for us to get issued our uh, ammunition and, uh, and uh, uh, BDUs and stuff and be on our way. As a matter of fact, I think uh, there was a pretty quick advance party put together. I don't know about you. I, as a matter of fact, I think you were on a C-5 with a yep. bunch of other guys and some – yeah, I flew over on a C-141 with a Sherman tank crew, and mm. uh, that was it. And, um, yeah, it happened real quick real quick they were sterile um uniforms no one had name plates or anything like that no it was just here you go, man here's your bag
2: yeah i think we had to sew them on once we get over there but yeah Mm -hmm. because you you had the sheridan crew on your bird because there were some of us uh so on the c5 pretty much the bottom of the c5 had all the uh the sheridans on there and i think there was i think it holds like 80 something guys up top and yeah dude you know yeah it was in
1: flight refueling i believe i don't i don't remember landing uh, we went straight there.
2: i think yeah i think we landed yeah. in saudi arabia i don't remember any pit stops
1: and we use we use guys on any
0: any notice notes to move or were you on standby for something like this to happen in the world or
1: well was yeah it typically out of uh, the ordinary? You, yeah all the all of division there's a uh, training cycle there's a quick reaction uh they call them um uh, rapid deployment squads whatever we weren't actually on it wasn't our turn we were in a straight uh training cycles so we were out in the field but we were gone inside of a week yeah oh yeah. yeah yeah there was no briefing there was no but typically yeah there is a training cycle and to be honest with you, i can't remember if someone out went out before us or we all just started once they gathered all the aircraft where well, they just started circling you know around and everybody just kept going
2: yeah because the only thing i remember is remember we got um colonel Nix who had first brigade mm-hmm. because the the way the breakdown if I recollect we had a couple elements from the 504 basically one of our sister brigades and then I think we were attached to them if you want to say for this brigade element uh, and I remember Colonel Nick's kind of getting everyone in a towel stadium there giving his little speech and it was like hey the last time the 04 and the 05 worked together was in World War II and okay yeah pack up your stuff boys you know get to the airfield and they were like little segments along the way, you know? So I, I think we hung out maybe in the company area a day or two just for supplies to roll in. Then we moved over to, um, I forget that staging area over there by Pope. I think we were yeah. there for a couple of days to get bullets and stuff like that. And then yeah. trying to work manifests. And then, you know, next day or something, like I said, Hey, here's the bird you're on. And all right, here we go.
1: All right. So it was amazing. Yeah, It was amazing how quickly they were able to get those aircraft full. If there was an empty spot and they had someone, they just pushed them out. It didn't matter who you're with. And then yep. they did a pretty good job of getting everybody together once we got it. Yeah,
0: that's a big logistical move that, that uh, you know, the coalition force had to had to do there to get that many troops and that much, uh, you know, equipment there in such a short period of time. And, like, we're talking a good couple of months before it was all there, but, you know, it, it's an insane logistical move that they, they had to do it at the time. But when you're on the transport and you're on your way to Saudi Arabia, what were you guys thinking? Were you thinking that this was going to be – all out war or were you thinking it's going to all blow over and there's going to be a political
2: resolution i mean for me you didn't really didn't know what to think you know because it was so there was so much gaps i guess if you want to say in intelligence so it was pretty much get on the plane you kind of knew uh iraq had invaded kuwait hey you guys are going over to saudi arabia is a stopgap, and i think it's like hey you're the line in the sand all right cool if it's if we're gonna sit there and fight we'll fight you know, but nobody knew. What do we know about desert warfare, really? I mean, we've been to NTC and stuff, but nothing. Um, kind of land, but then again, like you're saying, there was no. We're not used to landing in an airplane first and foremost, right? It's like where's the airfield seizure? So you're kind of throwing us out of the element as it is. All right, land now what? And I don't remember how we got from the airfield. If you do, Mark, um, over to Camp All American.
1: I, I don't remember. I, I think it was a mass truck initially, and then once yeah. some of the vehicles from you know our division and brigade started making it, then we transitioned to, you know, we, there was a lot of movements too, and I just don't remember exactly how we did it. But the only concern that the initial concern I had was when we first landed, and you could see how sparse there was just nobody else really there. There's no. Um, you know, you'd, there's no big formations of folks with, uh, you know, that are all uh, loaded up. I mean, my concern was the first 18 to 24 hours. I thought, man, if they were going to start throwing something our way, it was going to be it was going to be difficult. Um, there was hardly any aircraft as far as uh, attack helicopters or anything like that. But uh, that was my first concern was the first 18 to 24 hours.
0: And, let you, let you and th- make- none of us
1: had slept. I mean, we hadn't slept for for a couple of days. It was pretty. Pretty tough conditions and no one had really eaten or anything
0: like you mentioned rick um the, the awareness of the the situation on, on the ground in terms of you know iraq's invasion of kuwait and you know how that how that develops wasn't uh, formulated then but how how soon did that information start to trickle down to you is before you were getting accurate briefings uh, you know daily or weekly and you actually had a, a good general idea of what you might be looking to do
2: you know, this is where I wish I'd, again, going back to that journal, because I knew it was shortly thereafter, once we got on the ground and we got some vehicles, and Mark, I don't remember if you were part of this or not, Um, we went somewhere by, I remember, some desalinization plant. So that basically turns uh seawater into fresh water because obviously, being out in the desert, they don't have the abundance of water. Uh, but we went up somewhere by the desalinization plant, one, just kind of do a site survey of that thing kind of force protection. And then it was kind of like, Hey, this is our line. And again, how close were we to uh, the Saudi Kuwait border? I don't, you know, again, don't recollect, but it was like, if we're going to pick our point, where are we going to fight from, how are we going to do it? And what's our best plan. And I think if I recollect, there was a road that kind of went probably from uh, Kuwait into Saudi Arabia, and I think the intent was was basically, hey, we knew they had a high armored force, try to just sit there, destroy those tanks, get them to go off that hardball road into that softer kind of marshland type um, terrain, bog them down, and then just take dragons and just start trying to pick off these tanks. So yeah. if I recollect, and I don't know if you remember any better on that, but I think that was kind of our line in the sand.
1: Yeah, that's the first plan. time I really knew what we were supposed to be doing and why we were doing it and then shortly thereafter you know we moved up up north once everything caught up to us
0: and um, what border were you you on you mentioned that you're on the Saudi Kuwait border but I, I know there was forces out uh, way out west uh, as well um, was that was that part of your unit or and did you get separated or could you just nail down exactly where you were in terms of the
1: yeah know? we moved up we moved up north and west and we were on the uh, Iraqi Saudi border yep. so i think we we're we we're probably better than 100 miles north of that uh that tri-country area there and uh, that's where we remained for well we there's a lot of posturing they didn't know exactly how we were going to get moved so we'd make a there's a lot of movements initially um and then once we got up you know uh, i think we didn't even make it to rafa airfield until it was almost time to start the ground war so we had postured in several different locations but it was north and west the 18th airborne Corps was up there right yeah
0: yeah and uh then when you when you get up there and you get uh dug in what does your what does your positions look like because i I know you you said there that you're there was a kind of get up there and wait around type type deal um what was what was the environment like when you eventually was sat on the border
2: so it's called let's go hang out in a wadi Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it briefs well because you've kind of got some if you want to say natural terrain But here's the thing you don't typically think that it rains in the desert and i don't know if you remember this mark but we had that torrential downpour that was um if you want to say on the verge of being catastrophic because all of a sudden where does that water go in these wadis and there was stuff washing away just not from our platoon but just from across the entire uh you know battalion whoever else was all there that wasn't expected luckily I remember we were kind of closer to the top half. I don't think, um, I don't know if anyone was actually down in the lower part of the wadis, but those things got washed out. Um, So that was kind of, that took a couple days after that rainstorm just to go, Hey man, let's go walk the wadis and look for lost equipment that, you know, (laughs) got washed away. So, Oh man. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the, the first thing that, well, the, the biggest thing that I took away from all of that was those type of conditions, how difficult everything was. I mean, complete soft sand, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the rain would pop up, the wind storms and just made things miserable and you'd have to adjust all the time. Your positions were never good ever. And yeah, the the positions never really got to a point where we were ever even close to being satisfied with them. You know, there's no digging in, there's nothing like that. You know, we had some, some camouflage, uh, tarps that we could throw on there. We, every now and then you find some, some vegetation, you could dress those up a little bit, but yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of miserable conditions
0: for most, for most of the guys in, in Masa or era that, you know, the image that's conjured up is only from what you really see in, <coughs> sorry, is, uh, from news, news articles and, you know, movies, and probably the one that is probably is the most popular would be jarhead. And, you know, with that, that uh, scene where they're all lying behind this huge sand wall that's been erected by the engineers, and uh, they're all sleeping in those uh, in those shell scripts next to the next to the wagons. They've got wagons as hardcover. Was it like that at all, or where you were, or was it you know a little bit different? Because for anyone who has been deployed, like you were talking about there, Mark, that soft sand. It's like the the moon dust sand that you get in Afghanistan. was was that what you were talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean. Most of the time you're just laying on open earth. You know, you're, you're really not covered by anything. Um, And the, you know, the, the bugs were bad. The the sand was bad and it got a lot colder, even in August than I had expected it to as well. Uh, But yeah, we would just basically line up whoever wasn't on watch, we'd line up next to a vehicle or some kind of a natural, um, you know, not like a Valley, but something would peak. And sometimes it'd be like one or two, trees or whatever which we tried to stay away because that drew drew the eye um especially in a barren desert like that but yeah it's a lot like that
2: yeah because you gotta think we went from everything from living in some um maintenance hangar right we're pretty much your sleeping pad wide and long that was like your real estate let's stack you all in there like cordwood and this is all in saudi arabia And, and of course You know latrine facilities that don't match all the people that are there and that thing's just blowing up um you know we finally got a structure but again it's not really any any good living there and then once we started hopping um i remember i think we think we're using a bedouin tent there for a while Mm -hmm. i think we slept in one of those and then finally that just once we got up by the border um of saudi and iraq all that if you want to say all oh, your infrastructure went away, like Mark saying, you're just, you're sleeping on the dirt.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, you might try to dig in, but again, it's all terrain dependent, right? So you got some places that's straight moon dust. You got straight some places that's like trying to dig in the asphalt and you were just trying to use whatever you could, because again, not knowing what's going on, but I'll tell you this, I can still remember, um, being on firewatch, even though we still did that or guard duty, whatever you want to call it, yeah, yeah. you know, oh uh, dark 30 and you'd sit there and next thing you know them B52s would roll over about 15 minutes later they would drop their payload and you could feel that overpressure and you're sitting there going man them boys that's on the other end of this they're getting a beaten." and i mean that was all the time so um but yeah man it was nothing that's why we go back kind of that conversation we had earlier about finding that one building at uh the talil airfield it's like an actual structure, an actual bed. Pfft, oh, this is man. good living. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Luxury. And, and yeah. then you got
2: to you got to think. <clears throat> You're just talking about sleeping on the ground. Let's talk about um, if you want to say personal hygiene. I think we got man. If I recollect correctly, probably somewhere in January was the last time we did a field shower, and didn't see another one until we got back to Cobalt Towers. Yep. You know and that was just when was that uh, March. Yeah, very end of March. Yeah, I mean your DCUs. I, I remember just from all them oil fires and everything else, our DCUs might as well been black because oh. they were. You know, it was just there was no brown camouflage. No. So
0: Damn. and and Rick, you just mentioned there watching the uh, the air attack. Was it was it at that point when that started to build up that you really realized like this is actually you know we're going to we're going to get involved here this isn't just going to be a sit and it's going to roll over and we're end up we're going to end up going home and not actually do anything you know once that air air attack goes in and it's 20 30 days in you start to realize right shit, it's going to get real at what point was it for you that you realized that you definitely were going to get involved
2: probably once we finally position, because if i recollect correctly and mark helped me out on this one um We went to some, I don't remember what airfield we went to in Saudi Arabia, but it wasn't up by the border. Um, I think it's actually when, if you want to say Desert Shield kicked over to Desert Storm. And then when we got positioned closer to the border, and then you're actually, you know, that's when you'd, you know, you really wouldn't see, you'd hear the beef issues, you'd kind of see them, depending if you had your night vision or not. You could pick them up up there in the sky and, you know, see them dropping their ordnance. But, um, that's when it was kind of like, hey, man, this thing – because that the air campaign had been going on for a while, and we got closer. Then it's like, all right, at some point, they've got to launch us forward. But I don't – Mark, can you recollect any type of dates and stuff like that?
1: No, I don't remember a whole lot of dates, but I do remember um, the first big movement we made as an element that we knew was going to be the one we were going to be with throughout the rest of the uh, the operation um, was that Cobra Helicopter Engaged. um and that's when we all went into our uh, our chemical posture. And, oh yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I never did find out exactly what they engaged, with you know what was it or who was it, but um, I remember that there were several several medium sized explosions. But the, the couple of uh, covers were engaging as we were moving. It was actually from where we had just come from. It was behind us, and we all went into mop gear. And uh, that's the first time I think I really realized that um, yeah, we're we're going to we're going to get after it here, you know.
2: But I, I thought that happened actually in Iraq when we moved up. You
1: know what? It could. I, I. The reason I said I thought it was before that because I don't remember that being after the um the air mobile operation to get us in.
2: I think what you're thinking about is, um, I it think it could we be. Had I mean, it... that's
1: 30 years ago, so it could. Yeah, but if <laughs> if you remember,
2: if you remember, um. Remember they shot down those scuds close to us? I remember that. That was prior to, though, right? That was prior to. Yeah. That was somewhere in that, right in that transitional period. Mm-hmm. I think we had a gas call there. Yeah. Um, But I thought the gas call with, with the uh, the gunship striking, I think that was in, I could have swore that was in Iraq, man.
1: Could have been. It thought, was daytime. I, I know that. It was a daytime yeah. movement. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because I, I think we're moving up towards Talil, mm-hmm. if I recollect yeah. correctly on that one.
1: Because we uh, infiltrated into somewhere that was southwest of Talil, inside yep. of Iraq, and then we uh, took trucks and and sometimes some foot movement to Talil. Yeah, yeah.
0: Hey, Mark, no worries on the uh, forget forgetting uh, the, the, <laughs> the the minor details there. I, I was deployed ten. Uh. Year, I was deployed ten years ago, or just a little over ten years ago. 10, 12 years now. Yeah and i can't remember shit so god knows how 30 <laughs> god knows how 30 years is I going to feel i appreciate that god knows how 30 years is going to feel but yeah. um you mentioned then that um you got the you got the call to to don your cbrn equipment and that like i i know that there were stages um of that campaign where you're you're in different levels of attire so for people who are listening that don't know you know you you'll get a briefing or you get some intelligence that there there might be you know, more of a threat or less of a threat. And your, your donning of that equipment uh, coincides with the intelligence level, uh, threat level. So uh, I know at times you were wearing like everything, minus respirator uh, and gloves and boots. Um, so how was that in terms of, you know, getting acquired, getting acclimatized to wearing that equipment in the desert? Because I'm sure it, it wouldn't have been nice.
2: I, I don't think we did, to be honest with you. Not for... If you want to say Gulf War One or, or Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Now, I know um, the Iraq invasion in 03, those guys were in their mop suits, but I don't ever remember putting our mop suits on. I remember putting our pro mask on, but the problem was, if I remember right, Mark, you got to understand we were in a very uh, supply restricted environment. You know, Mark talked about us being fed by Hardy's <laughs> brown bag because they didn't want us oh, eating yeah. our MREs. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever opened up our uh our mop suits if i recollect correctly i don't i don't believe so no we
1: donned our masks several times and you you brought up uh, i think that was rafa airfield is where we were when we saw the patriots and the scuds and uh that Mm -hmm. was that was really close and uh, you know there was definitely in my mind that we're gonna we're gonna hit get some gas here man i was like one Mm -hmm. of the you know I, i said i hope them guys are are just crushing it man because if one of those gets through it's gonna we were a lot of folks sitting there and i really thought we were gonna it was a good chance we got some gas uh, during those yeah yeah
2: because that's about the same time we started taking those uh those pb pills yeah remember that so they had these these pills little white pills in this package that said um
1: discreet plain uh packaging pills yeah (laughs) yeah but but
2: but it said but it said um for military or inmate use only or something or not approved by fda or yeah. it was something and we're like we which one are down. we yeah yeah both yeah. both
1: uh,
0: that would probably just yeah. to conserve your skin falling off for a little while <laughs> Oh man, but yeah. um <clears throat> was that was that something you mark you obviously say you obviously were worried about it like you just said but yeah. was it something that you know was it uh you know biting you down or getting away at you day by day? Or was it just kind of in those instances when like you mentioned that scud was getting shot down, you're like, Oh fuck, maybe we're going to get it here. Uh, or was it something that was constantly back of your head?
1: Um, it was definitely in the back of my head, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was beating me down too much. I think we were more like, you know, we keep coming back to this. We were more concerned about, you know, keeping the guys that we had a couple folks that joined us that had been in the army not as long as we had been in country. So we're kind of like, Hey man, you know, just do this, stick with me. It's going to be all yep. right. You know, there was some times when we got hot meals and granted it was the same hot meal three times a day for 10 <laughs> days. It was chili beans with chili and rice. And I tell you what, we, it was just like, it was Thanksgiving dinner, you know, cause we had every been day. Eating, yeah. It was unbelievable. But it was, it was almost 10 days straight and <laughs> you know, those little things just, you know, kept us going. But I think we were more concerned about, you know, what we're going to do, making sure we're prepared for that, you know, wanting to get it done uh, mm-hmm. than I was the, uh, you know, the, the possible missile attack because it was real. Yeah. It was definitely real. Yeah. And,
0: and yeah, just could, just in terms of that, that whole threat, then I'm sure you would have been training that back in the States pretty regularly considering the, the cold war threat, um, you know, CBRN, Donning and mm-hmm. Dawson equipment and all the protocol yeah. it takes to change canisters and clean your res- respirators and stuff like that. I'm sure you would be all all squared away with that. So, um, but for, like you said, for the new guys coming in, they probably wouldn't have had that that level of training that you guys had had in the states. And were you were you taking time while you were back there to to do continuation training while while you were um, sitting on the border, or was it kind of still that operational activity? that didn't really
2: allow you to, to get training in. No, we, we got training in, we trained the new guys, you know, again, it was a crash course. So like Mark's saying, literally we got, I think it was January when we got those guys in, I mean, brand new guys that had just got out of basic training. Um, I will say this, some guys opted to uh, play a joke on some of the new guys and the slit trenches, they told them that was the, the scud bunkers
1: yeah and i think
2: <laughs> and, and
1: i think oh, man.
2: Uh, i think on one of the nights when scuds come rolling in next thing you know you're looking for uh some lost joes and they're out there in the slit trench getting pissed on potentially it's like <laughs> yeah. jesus man so
0: you kind of lost but now y- lost on the sarcasm there
1: yeah i remember um, thinking i can't believe they fell for that you know what i mean i just yeah because they pissed in it the day before yeah you know what i mean yeah
2: but <laughs> Whatever. These are the
1: emergency yeah, scud yeah, Trent, Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Was that you? Did you come up with that?
2: I, I wish I did. I didn't. Yeah, Some somebody else came up with that one, and yeah, man, here comes it, it. And here's the thing: it was like across the board. So somehow, the word had spread, just not to our guys, but to everybody. <laughs> hey, new guys, when the scuds come in, you know, get to the scud bunkers. <laughs> All right, same place you're pissing at. But hey, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but it it was it was the same thing, just like with the burn pits, because I think somebody fell in um one of the burn pits if i remember because it rained again and of course that thing filled up with water uh-huh. i mean it was just just the conditions over there were crazy man um those pb pills remember some guys actually got nerve agent poisoning yeah and i mean you didn't know what to do so what do you do you've got you know this antropine so let's give him a couple sticks just like <laughs> you were taught during your nbc <laughs> training because he's showing signs and symptoms so yeah let's pull out his plug yeah, the his next thing the, and-
1: the medevacs there five minutes later <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh well you know we had a lot of folks that were getting bit, uh, bit by insects and spiders and anything that you know had to be uh medevaced out um you know it just the conditions were unbelievable unbelievable yeah yeah,
0: yeah so in terms of the like i mentioned there the training you, you guys are kind of the cold war was coming to an end isn't it so you guys will have been training for something similar you know big ground conventional type war so it kind of rolls into what you ended up uh, being part of. Um, yeah, I really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, but also that comes with that is the bigger picture, rather than just infantry, infantry tactics or infantry operations. Is you know these big, you know, huge destructive weapons of mass destruction that you know nations are going to use against nations that um, Iraq, you know, was a, alleged to
2: have these weapons of mass destruction that oh, they they had them. Yeah because they i will did? tell you this right and here's the big thing everyone always argues that no back in 91 um we were right down the road from uh el Nasiriya. and when the uh, eod guys set that thing off oh my god yeah, dude all of our <laughs> alarms went back crazy yeah and we were like miles away from. we this were thing.
1: miles away and Damn. we were having yeah. debris falling on us i can't remember how far it was but it was 10s tens- tens of miles. I mean, it was a long way away. Yeah. Jeez, oh, so
2: when people go allegedly, no dude, we were there because yeah. here's the thing. Um, there's a handful of organizations that were there that were on this chem watch list or whatever you want to say, because of our exposure that was up there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm here to tell you today, alleged, no way, dude confirmed. Yeah, so,
0: man, that's, that's good to hear. I'm ignorant to the facts, obviously, because I wasn't there.
2: Nope, it, <laughs> th- that's, yeah so when people go alleged no way it was yeah al uh, nasiria there's like i said i know uh first 05 was part of that i forget what other organizations were there but yeah dude um there was stuff up there yeah and what what
0: was the you know obviously infantry units are the ones who end up finding all these ty- types of things on the you know when you do actually go onto the ground it's not it's not a drone that's finding these things inside a inside a you know a bunker building or whatever you want to call them or um a hangar or whatever but in terms of in terms of your your training for finding these what what were you told to do if you discovered that you're potentially walking into a a place where they're harboring nuclear weapons or um you know just in general weapons of mass destruction were you given
2: any like protocol to follow or i don't think we were because here's the thing you got to understand right you mentioned drones okay Let's rewind the tapes. No drones back in (laughs) in 1991, right? Everything was, you know, basically ground pounders covering ground. So, and Mark, this is where I'll need your help. So I remember we basically had X amount of kilometers on the Talil map sheet that we were responsible for. Yeah. And if I recollect, here was our guidance. Um, Annotate everything to the best of your ability and destroy everything. Yeah. We... I mean I don't know if you remember this. So we ended up finding one of those uh ZPU's, you know, the wheeled anti-aircraft um Soviet gun. Yeah. We
1: found a lot of stuff in that that, that area we had.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. nobody briefed us, "Hey man, the foot pedal is the trigger on that thing." <laughs> we won't mention uh, any names, but, but somebody puts their Yeah, somebody puts their foot on that. Whack, 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 whack. You oh. know, it, it, so <laughs> because again, Scared you're Joe
1: shit out of me.
2: Oh yeah. So, so you're a bunch of Joes that don't really know what you're doing, trying to figure stuff out, oh. um, come across a bunch of stuff that you'd only seen in manuals. You kind of, you know, want to sit there, spin the wheels, mess with stuff. Yeah. These things were loaded up and sure enough, the foot pedal is what, you know, makes these things shoot. So, all right, good tip. Don't yeah. put your foot on the foot pedal. Yeah. We um, blew up
1: everything.
0: Yeah, it I was just everything. I was just going yeah. to ask yeah. in terms of denying enemy equipment, what was your what was the
2: uh the protocol there? It, everything. So put it this way, destroy everything that was there, try to annotate to the best of your ability what it was. Um just so everyone knows, I'm two away from having – or excuse me, three away from having my ace, although I don't know if it if they weren't flying if that doesn't count, but <laughs> yeah, dude, we destroyed Megs. Yeah. Um Anything and everything, we would, you know, we started with demo, then we ran out of demo, then we started using frags, we went yeah, Winchester frags. on frags. Some and I remember
1: some subsidiary, you know, yeah, vices. And-,
2: and we ended up burning some combo trailer, if you remember, by setting mattresses on fire that were in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, honestly, I'm
1: surprised we've, I am surprised we i do not know where the hell we, we found the mattresses, but I remember that they were in there. <laughs> yeah, well, they're sleep, they they sleeping.
0: sleeping on them, I think. <laughs> yeah. Impro- Improvised, yeah, grab those overcome. things for us. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, we What's found
1: that? a number. Go ahead, buddy. Improvise no, adapt
0: just... and overcome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, find some mattresses, burn them Yeah, we found a number of MIGs, a couple of helicopters, one that was uh uh taken back. That's uh I don't know if that's still is that still on Bragg or did that go somewhere else? It was a uh I can't remember what helicopters one of the larger ones.
2: It was it was um one of the Heinz. because yeah. I got a i got a picture by it.
1: Yeah, you got a picture, that's they, right.
2: Yeah. They slung. I think that I took that out. picture. You probably did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why did i don't i should have said hey dude take a picture of me (laughs) it was badass but we found a a number of of planes uh several helicopters um blew up a lot of not a ton of ammunition but blew up some Mm -hmm. uh, some a lot of communication stuff um i remember one time there's a guy in our platoon that we took an at4 and he was going to blow up this tower and we're all standing next to him and you know he's getting ready to do it and he goes through the procedure and arms it and all of a sudden he goes click (laughs) so we all start Kind of just slowly inching away from him. <laughs> no, nah, it's going to be all right, buddy. Just go ahead and try it again. We're going to step over here. Yeah.
2: Did he get it? Oh dude.
1: Oh, yeah, he got it. He blew the shit <laughs> out of it.
2: I, I think he left the uh, – I think he forgot to pull the uh, pin out of the back, wasn't it? I it think – either
1: that, either that or that little lever that you used to have to – Or maybe he didn't
2: use the say yeah. yeah, I, I forget. Yeah. It was something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, by- but – I mean, we, we went Winchester on all that stuff, man. Oh, man so
0: i can i can only imagine a bunch of infantry dudes rocking up on a fucking mig and you've yeah. got free reign several to, of you them you've got free reign to do what you want to do i can only imagine yeah
1: <laughs> so we would so be we becomes, becomes, been jumping
2: in the cockpit and fucking oh, oh yeah oh, so oh, right. all that yeah it, oh, it was that. jumping in the cockpit why we never took a picture next to one i don't know maybe i didn't have any who knows um, idiots yeah we rigged one up if you remember we, I think we try to get the ejection seat by rigging up five fifty to it, trying to. Hey, man, what happens if you pull these handles? You know, yeah. out there with five fifty. Wow. Like- yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Goes Probably would have killed
1: all of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. yeah. It was a lot
0: of fun. Um, damn. So by by this point, you you you've crossed the board and you're you're entering into Iraq. Uh, and what's your what's your mission then uh, when you're on the move? Because I, I know it was a pretty fast, you know, you just covered a lot of ground very quickly. What was your, what was your mission, if you can remember?
1: Yeah, we were, um, we were going to all helo uh, in. We were following the French six light armor, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. I think they were the northernmost um, armor, and we were following them. We were maybe four hours behind, um, and they had laid some waste. They had done a real nice job. And we were going to do a staging area, I think 20-some miles shy of Tulare Airfield, where we could collect, gather everybody up, and then we made the movement to take over Tallulah Airfield. That was pretty much what we were supposed to do, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: And how did that movement – what did that look like? Was it um, a vehicle move in there, or was it an air assault through helicopters, or how how did that pan out?
2: I think it was an air assault, if I remember right. Uh, yeah. I think they were just burning loops of um, of Chinooks, if I recollect yeah. correctly. And then and they we were trying. Yeah, to... we were
1: all sitting on a bed of uh, mortar and frag ammo. Yeah. So we had all these crates we had to carry through on. Then we sat on top of the crates, and they were just making yeah. loops, like Rick said. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think they brought the uh, the arty in, and they were trying to bring. If I recollect, I think on some of them they were bringing equipment in along with packs, but it was mainly, Hey, get boots on the ground. Kind of, this is your staging area. Yeah. Um, far enough away where, you know, they thought, Hey, the gig's not going to be up, but close enough where, Hey, we can make a movement up to there. Yeah. And if I recollect, I think we just, once we kind of get everybody, I think we just started leapfrogging up there to a certain point, got up on that berm and was like, just movement,
1: a lot of movement. had to check out a few things. A lot mm-hmm. of support from Apaches were there by then, and some fast movers, and checking a few yep. areas out. But it was a pretty quick movement. Um, I can't remember if we got there during the daytime. I thought it was at night, and a lot of that stuff started at night.
2: Yeah, um, I think, go ahead. Yeah, Rick. I, I don't recollect. No, yeah. I was just saying. I I think we might have. I think we might have landed um, during the day, just from the chalk we were on. Mm-hmm. But I think the actual assault on Tallil, if I remember right. I think we moved up to that berm during nighttime, but actually rolled in. I think first thing. Yeah, I I don't remember.
0: Yeah. What what did that uh, what did that assault look like in in terms of uh, you know friendly friendly forces strength and and just overall maneuver elements? What what if you don't mind just describe what that looked like in, in terms of resistance uh, scene and all that.
2: I think, well, I can at least speak for, I think we, I know we had uh, the battalion. I don't remember, I, I, but I want to say there was more slice with us because I remember um, we had an ADA element because they used their Vulcans in a ground roll, uh, mm-hmm. which hadn't been seen before. But I think we just pretty much moved online, if I remember right, to our different breach points on the airfield there was numerous different breach points you know so again it was kind of a reverse deal where you're doing an airfield seizure but versus jumping on the airfield is from the outside going in if i remember right mark and we kind of yeah. had our our sectors laid out hey here's your breach make breach because there was a perimeter fence around it because there was a, a large berm that i think the hardball was on we used that as kind of a last staging point kind of up and over the berm it, whatever time was annotated moved to breach points and then just everyone started breaching that fence if I remember right
1: yeah and I think that, somebody that yeah that sounds right and I, and I think uh, I do believe there might have been more than just our um, battalion because it was, I think it was that, like an l-shaped posture we were on the southern end moving straight yeah. up and they were coming from the north and and sweeping east
2: but and, but I don't uh, remember who who mm-hmm. else was there
1: yeah, if it was
2: I, you know second second or third battalion I, I don't remember
1: yeah. Did you it meet, was all light, all light infantry. Did you yeah, meet much yeah. resistance there? Uh,
2: you not know, not the a ga- whole lot. No. Here's the thing. Um the guys that were there, the few people that we found around and the couple that wanted to try to put up a fight, they were beat. Yeah. Because them them boys had been bombed um what, 30 plus days? Oh man. I mean, they were, you know you had a couple diehards that probably thought they were going to do something, or maybe they snuck out and didn't get bombed, but dude, for the most part, them guys were, the air war had beat them down. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I actually done, it was doing a bit of research uh, in the past couple of days and um, there was a 41 day straight bombing campaign before the, the ground uh, element actually done any movement. And just in terms of uh, numbers, it was estimated anywhere between 250 and 500,000 troops on the ground so we're not talking small campaign like uh you know like afghanistan like most are used to but we're talking all out war scaling here um just insane amount of logistical um effort to keep that keep that moving and in terms of moving so fast that you guys were how 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 was that affecting you in terms of being uh, logistically resupplied uh, because you can only move as fast as you as your logistics can. can, can yeah, uh, we were up. very
1: aware of that, and we were <laughs> we were out moving anything that we would have needed. You know what I mean? We were just yeah. out yep. moving it.
2: Yeah, because it it'd I think always it... catch
1: up to you two or three days later. By then, you were just replenishing, and then again, you'd be moving again. Brutal. Yeah,
2: because you you know here's the thing: you got to think when we got into this is how bad things were as far as. uh if you want to say the, the supply trains. Um, Cause again, I'll go back to Talil. So we've, we've kind of hit our objective. we have secured that. I remember a night, um, you know, sitting there going and again, cold as anything out there, making a brew, or at least I thought I was putting sugar in my brew when it was actually salt <laughs> and a full salt packet in your brew tastes absolutely horrible. Right. But what'd you do? Did you pitch it out? Oh no. Because that's all you had. And yeah. Some guy said, Man, you got some coffee? I was like, Yeah, but it's got all salt in it. I'll drink it. Oh, that's horrible. But you didn't chuck it because you didn't have it. Yeah. Now, you got to think granted, there wasn't much food in these houses, but we found something. And I don't remember if it was rice or something, but somebody tried to cook up something. Because again, dude, we were at the bare bones um, supply chain wise. We were running, you know, it just couldn't keep up. So, yeah found something, you know, some, some savage vittles and let's try to make something and and go from there. So,
1: and I don't ever remember the morale really being horrible. I think we were so focused Mm -hmm. on what we were going to do and what we needed to do. And then when the younger guys got there and we were training them up as much as we could, that was a big boost in uh, our focus. But um, yeah, it, we went without a lot. We went Mm -hmm. without a lot.
2: Yeah, I mean it was ebbs and flows, right? But nobody—I don't ever remember uh, if you want to say bad morale. So you got to understand. Let's let's put it in, and I think it's important that kind of the—I'll just dub the new generation understand. Um, There was no email. You know, if you wanted to communicate back home, you had to write a letter. Okay, at a certain point that ended. Uh, We did have—I think they finally got the phone booths kind of in where you could make a collect call back home, but that wasn't going on that much uh, not
1: where we were yeah we didn't see no. any of that till we got back
2: well well, i remember doing one they had one at camp all-american right before we left i think at&t slides something in and you could get a quick call back home um you know but you became masters of trying to figure stuff out cool no weight set no problem ain't nobody sending you plates over so let's get some concrete and some steel poles and dude we had some hokey bench set and you know Granted, weights that were heavier on one side than the other. So just make sure on today that you put the heavy side on the left, and then tomorrow you put it on the right side. So you balance yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So you didn't have one bicep ten times bigger than the other one. Yeah.
2: But I I mean, we tried to make the best of what we had, and I don't even, you know, even from Jump Street eating those hearty cold hamburgers, all the way up to you know actually being in Iraq, not really getting uh, resupplied like we need to. I don't remember anyone ever complaining whining no nope. you know yeah yeah you might have sat there man this sucks yeah. but it'll only suck if it gets 10 degrees colder
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that's what the, that's what the boys are best at the boys are best
2: at moaning yeah. but they're really i mean it would be like yeah this sucks
0: yeah exactly you know
2: but we there wasn't the technology that you have today um i mean i can remember when those oil well fires kicked off out there on guard duty I remember we had to sit there and put IR chem lights around our own platoon perimeter yeah. because your nods didn't even work. It was pretty much, all right, hey, I can kind of walk over here. Yep. I see the IR from, all right, there's an apex. All right, cool. Let me walk over here. Yep. There's an apex. Dude, guys could have rolled in five feet away. You would have never seen them. Uh-uh. I mean, it was, so even just the technology you had wasn't working. Well, um, We
1: were rocking the, uh, the sevens back then, right? Yeah
2: high-end pvs sevens man oh man grainy so, oh they yeah.
1: need ambient light which there's zero um, <laughs> so you couldn't see anything yeah remember they came out with those those jackets those poncho parkas that you had they had the little checkers oh, yeah. someone you know who just got in country had brought those or said dude what the hell is that oh you yeah. can't see it with night vision i go brother i can't see anything with these things anyway <laughs> so yeah it works you're right it works yep what was the uh I'm not what, proven what, he was, was our it, new lieutenant i think what was the role of
0: uh, of like uh night sights uh did every every man have his own head mounted sights or no
1: <clears throat> no I, we, to be fair we did have quite a few we had a lot more than some of the other platoons probably did but no no we didn't no. there was no individual radios there was none of that
2: no you had um probably a couple couple per squad maybe you know, but there was nothing again, you gotta understand the technology wasn't there like it is today. Um, we didn't have any IR lasers on our rifles. We had M sixteen A twos with iron sights. There was yep. no red dot optics, there was no white light, there was nothing. No. So you're gonna sit there, use your iron sights in your old, you know, call it old nowadays, I guess. You know, M sixteen A two battle rifle. No big deal. Nobody yeah. bad an eye. Um and I think to be honest with you, I think we did more with less and, you know, seemed to make things work out just fine. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, not only that, you know, those are the days when if you're calling for fire or you're plotting your own fire uh, mission, we had a plotting board. We didn't have computers. We had Mm -hmm. a plotting board where you would have to mimic the map and do it by pencil and, you know, angles and all that, and, and minutes of angle and all that stuff. It was all pen and paper and in your head. And on top of that, I remember some of the communications we had. We were still laying wire between positions, and using the old Vietnam, you know, crank phones. We were still yep. using those. Yeah, and we used them. We used them every day at you know at night when you, between positions and checking in, make sure everybody's all right because you can't see anything. It's dark, and you're just being quiet as you can and, and using the old school tech, you know. And you're yeah. right. I think we did a lot, a lot with very little.
0: Mm-hmm. I uh I I, I kind of in, in between here and. In- in terms of uh equipment so i I had both i had nothing and i had everything so guys guys now are getting everything so that every man's getting a a helmet mounted night sight and then every man's also getting a a rifle mounted night sight plus obviously a, a you know a rifle sight for for daylight conditions plus a whole bunch of other stuff like you mentioned the lasers the torches on you know attached to the weapon um but I also had it when I was a, a young private where I had nothing. I never had a, a helmet mounted night sight or even a, a night sight on my rifle. Um, and when I first rocked up uh, to my unit, <coughs> I was straight, straight out in deployment from basic training and I, I was given the, uh, the you guys call it the saw, but we call it the, the LMG. And we have this uh, night sight and, and it's huge. It's, uh, it's, it's about th- this this size. It's, it's, a, it's a long, thick, you know big night sight and it's um it's terrible but my <laughs> m- my uh, my section commander he gave me that because no one else in the section wanted it and because i was the brand new bloke he says you're carrying that so i straight away went over to him i says okay yeah um, yeah thanks for giving me this i appreciate you giving me a night sight but I, i've got the i've got the lmg do you expect me to put this on top of that thing <laughs> he's like get it on there when it gets dark put that thing on there so i remember being on patrol and i was like we got down and we're you know i think we're in you know i think we're doing a hasty ambush or something i was like trying to i was trying to look through this thing i was like this is the biggest heap of shit ever but out of principle you've got to carry it and you've got to put it on there um so i kind of had the best of both worlds some night i was on patrol putting my hands out in front just hoping to touch someone's back um and then towards my end of my career it was like i had all the the thermal sites and you know had all the all the equipment but guys are guys now they've got a full suite of of equipment and i'm sure in, the, in america it's way better than what we've got in the uk um in terms of rollout of equipment for the guys so yeah it's, it's interesting to hear hear your stories about how these guys you know you, you said you had nothing um and how i can kind of relate but also um some of my experiences are much better in terms of ha- having the, the equipment at hand but um what was it like to be part of such a huge coalition then were you just, were you aware of it or were you just kind of in your own, own bubble and just doing your own thing day to day? Um, go ahead,
2: Rick.
1: It's a good one for you.
2: So, you know, really the, the coalition, you kind of sit in your own bubble, right? Because that's your world. You kind of care about really your platoon. All right. Hey, the company, the battalion, but really after that, um, Did we know there were more people starting to roll in? Yeah. I mean, as time that you're sitting in Saudi Arabia, yep, you kind of get, you know, ebbs and flows of, hey, here's what's going on. But, you know, it goes back. Really, the only thing I cared about was kind of the crew I was with. And and Mark, I'm sure, you know, I'll let you kind of chime in on this. But I think an important thing you need to understand is something happened over there that basically put two gentlemen um in rick's book that will stick out forever and that was colonel nixon colonel hale and these two basically duked it out so you get two um brigade commanders going after each other on who's potentially going to make the combat jump because they did bring in parachutes for us and there was talk of us actually making a jump and for both of these guys that were to me the absolute pinnacle of uh, infantry warriors to go no dude, I'm taking my boys on that jump. no, I'm taking my boys. I'd follow either one of those men anywhere. So really the rest of who else was there didn't really matter to us. yeah um I knew at least for me and and the circles we had that we had solid leadership. we had guys that you know what were there, wanted to be in the fight, and you know, we're gonna sit there and stand behind their boys to get them in the fight. so yeah.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the, the thing about that, too, is I, I totally agree with you. I was only concerned with, with you know, our guys. And being in headquarters company, uh, you know, we had those other guys, you know, all the uh, friends that we had, like the scouts and all those other mm-hmm. guys that were with us. And, and all I really cared about was being prepared for them. And those two leaders that you just spoke about, they had us prepared. We were prepared, oh, yeah. and, and we were able to execute, and we were able to get those young guys trained up. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know who the coalition leaders were when they started Mm-mm. mentioning it. I had no idea. <laughs> no. I knew we had a lot of people there. I had no. I had no idea who uh, Stormy Norman was. I had no idea, because I didn't care. Because we had those guys that were telling us what to do. He was my Stormy Norman. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah, yep. it was really strange. Talk about a bubble. I mean, there was no, you know, nothing, nothing out there. We we didn't know, and it's probably a good thing. Probably a good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah that's good uh good to obviously hear as well that you've got a good bunch of unit pride there still running through your veins rick
2: (laughs) oh dude i'm telling you man here's the thing you know i I don't know how you know 82nd is nowadays but i will tell you this for a young man growing up in the u.s army um you know late 80s rolling into the 90s i i enjoyed my time good place to grow up you know good leadership Learned some valuable lessons there. Um, but, you know, really from, like I said, probably, can I remember the rest of, you know, the officers? Can I remember my PL's name? Nope, probably not. Um, but I'll tell you this, I'll remember Colonel Nixon, and Colonel Hale. Yeah. You know, so why would I remember two brigade commanders that in all essence, as, you know, a knuckle dragon spec four shouldn't even care about, know about, worry about, because these two dudes were willing to go at it at each other to bring their boys, that combat jump. So, Hey, if you're airborne infantry, you know, if you can score a combat jump, that's like a huge pinnacle in your career. Right. Yeah. And I've got both of these guys fighting for it. Pfft, come on, dude. You know, where do you want to go to hell and back? Roger that, sir. Let's go. Yeah. You, you know,
0: I just had a, a guest on two, two episodes ago. Um, Robert, uh, Robert Collington, he was with the one 173rd and he'd done a, a combat jump into Iraq in 2003 mm-hmm. Um and you know as we were talking about it as we were talking on the episode I had no idea that that was even that even happened and then <coughs> excuse me um you know guys around the around the world that are following me you know sending me messages like geez oh like I had no idea that there was even a, a combat jump in Iraq and um that that's why episodes like this and uh, and others are so so important to to get it from the horse's mouth and document because what you're doing really is documenting history. <clears throat> you're also uh, doing a biograph- <clears throat> biographical, biographical, um, you know, depiction of someone's life or, you know, and people are really interested, especially now it's been, you know, a, a good period of time that it happened to go that, you know, people are starting to forget almost and, um, mm-hmm. well, maybe starting to forget, but people like myself who, who were only just born at that time. So um, it's, it's amazing to, to, hear about stories like this that you know like a little story that two colonels are, are fighting over a parachute jump in in iraq in 91 how many people are going to know that unless you're you're telling the stories it's it's awesome to do this and it's awesome
2: to document it and it's also cool it's fucking cool to hear stories like that um yeah. but but you got to put some things in in context right because you got to think in 89 part of the division jumped in down to panama for just cause yeah, yeah and we unfortunately got cheated uh and i'll say that because <laughs> here's the thing when you look at that one and kind of you know laying some history in there we had done a uh, brigade size mass attack which would never done a brigade size we went from the airfield jumped on helicopters flew to the mount site never done that and then obviously what happens on december 20th same thing and i remember because we had gotten cut loose, and Mark, I don't remember if you were there yet or if you yeah come was back. I okay. was.
1: Everybody else was um, on leave. You and I, I think, were the only ones in the platoon. It, yeah, we were, we're hanging post.
2: Yeah, hanging out for something, and then next thing you know, the word starts spreading. Hey, man, these boys are getting ready to jump into Panama. We're trying to hustle up and down our den street. Yeah, to get on to get, get a on the manifest. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um. But I know some know,
1: stuff. Put me on there. You know yeah. what I mean?
2: <laughs> yeah. But instead, you got, you know, people from division headquarters kicking off machine gunners and AGs to right. go get their mustard stain, but that's here and over there. Yeah. But the point being is, you know, from an airborne infantryman's side, man, the chance to get that combat jump, it's a big deal. Yeah. And then to watch these two men basically battle each other on who's going to get the rights. And we're not talking – these guys aren't young. I mean, I can't remember if Colonel Nix, because, again, he was over in, in uh, the O4, but I, I remember Colonel Hale – he was complete gray, you know. So what? He's probably in his, you know, fifties, I'm guessing, maybe at that I, I don't know what oh, so he was a young
1: he was. he was a young man.
2: Yeah, he was a young man. <laughs> you know, you got two young guys out, yeah, out there. Yeah, two young du- guys right here. You yeah, it man. out, you know? Because yeah. it only brought enough shoots, I think. I don't remember if it was for, you know, battalion, you know, brigade, but it wasn't like they brought enough rigs for everybody. Um, so yeah, I mean that that just stands out as a staple where you know we'd done pre-jump, we hadn't done pre-jump you know, all up until that point, Hey, let's do some pre-jump. Sure. You know,
1: I really um, thought, I really thought that's what, how it was going to go down, especially yeah. when we knew where we were going mm-hmm. um, and we're on the airfield staging. I really thought that's, that's what was going to happen. And I, I just don't think they felt they could get enough people. I think they believed that they were going to be up there by themselves for a long period of time. I don't know yeah. if that was it, but I, I don't know. I, I really mean, thought that was going to go I'm, down. Like I
0: mean, that. you've got to think as well. Like you just saying that you really thought that you were going to go ahead with it. Like, I mean you're hundred percent and you're in the right mind to think you're gonna go ahead with you've got huge amounts of troops and you know your you, your conventional warfare is, is off the chart right now. You've got an uh you know, an air war going on that's being being completed, decimating the enemy forces, you've got massive amounts of armor moving, you've got thousands of, you know, infantry troops on the ground. Why would there not be one combat jump? Like surely like you would think that that was gonna happen, wouldn't you?
2: you would think especially not at first because at first we just kind of looked at hey man we're a line in the sand and we're wheel grease but when them parachutes (laughs) came in when you see it's like man the parachutes are here it's like we're getting this thing on on. man yeah Yeah.
0: like stick to a
2: dog (laughs) yeah oh man (laughs) which one's mine (laughs) yeah hey mark
0: um you know one of the things that that sticks in me in, in my mind from my deployments is that there's always you know at least one or two memories that or you know um, operations that I, that I always will remember so what is one of the, one of the memories that's really always at the forefront of your mind for for from that
1: deployment <clears throat> i think it was when when we were finished with the initial clearing of our sector of buildings to, at uh, Talil airfield and i was able to link up back with rick i remember that specifically Um, and I think I told him the pen story, but it, that sticks out to me. That's one of the main highlights because he was in another uh, squad. And when we linked back up, I really remember that. Um, and it's probably why I remember the pen story and us uh, going through and doing all that demos, because I do remember linking back up with Rick because we had been, um, next to each other for months, every day, all day. And then all of a sudden it's go time and I'm on a different bird getting there. And then the movement, you know, we get up to Talil and then I haven't seen him in a few days. So that's probably my biggest memory that I take from that.
0: And then Rick, same thing. What's the, what's the the one memory that just really sticks in the forefront of your, of your, your mind from, um
2: Really? Yeah. Say- I mean, for, for me it was, um, and, and this is why I think it happened the one time I remember up in Iraq when, um that gunship shot something and that gas call came over Mm -hmm. and you want to talk about man i've never put my mask on so fast i was like man i don't want to fight in this thing (laughs) yeah you know it's like because again it was it yes you'd been trained for it but it's like man um what kind of can of worms got opened up with that one so yeah that gas call it's like all right you know get that mask on and let's see where this thing shakes out at. Cause yeah. I don't remember dude, It was just, it was one of those unknowns, you know, gas call comes out. I don't remember us getting into our NBC suit. So it's like, yeah, I got a pro mask on, but I don't remember putting gloves or anything else on. And I don't remember all the driving factor, but it's like, yeah, is your hand's going to start peeling away from whatever rubbish is out there, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And then obviously <clears throat> like Mark said, you know, once, once we'd kind of done, and I think that was during our quote-unquote clearing stuff, Mark, when we kind of linked back together at some mm. point, yeah. going, hey, man, what'd you find? Burned some <laughs> <Yeah>. trailer, <with>, a <laughs> trailer down with a mattress.
1: I remember thinking, where the hell did that anti-gun round end up? You know, I remember thinking that when old boy stepped on the trigger. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah.
2: Up in down up in Nasiria somewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that thing's still going, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: man. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in terms of uh in terms of the some of the things that you you've seen when you're when you're deployed then because obviously the images coming back you know even now you can just go on on youtube and pull up an old news article or you know a documentary or or, you know something just historical imagery this the images are pretty graphic um and you talk about the the burning of the the oil fields and how everything was just black um and obviously you've got 40 odd days of of a an air offensive it's completely devastating to enemy forces so um, there's going to be some crazy shit blowing up migs and fucking playing around with all that sort of shit that's pretty pretty insane but what what would you say some of the the crazy things that you've seen then um
2: crazy things wow
1: like
0: i I would i would think one of the boys jumping in a cockpit of a fucking you know enemy mig is pretty crazy
2: yeah, but that was just the boy screwing around. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. um, that was every day. Really, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I wouldn't consider that consider that crazy. Maybe trying to pull on the uh, the ejection handle with some 550 cord. <laughs> but oh. again, you didn't you didn't know what you didn't know. Um, I, I don't know that there's man. I'm trying to think back. Something crazy. I
1: All remember right. some of the some of the the trauma that had been inflicted on the indigenous folks that we had encountered. It wasn't a whole lot, but the ones that we did, um, some of them were afraid of us. Some of them were happy to see us. Um, they they were tired too, just like the the soldiers that you know we encountered, and and just didn't have it in them anymore because they had just been out there on their own. Same with the indigenous people. And I'm thinking, um, and again, it, this goes back to someone who's been somewhere outside of you know our great countries where. Um, something like this happens or they're treated the way they are by their their rulers or whatever you want to say it's uh, i mean it, it does it doesn't it sticks with you to see how it was affecting these these people they're just trying to just trying to
2: live you know what I mean yeah you bring up a good point mark because I remember um, we had i don't know if you want to call them resistance forces or I, I don't remember the good word again 30 years is is slipping my memory but we had guys coming down because we had that one checkpoint out there on the hardball um, where dudes were trying to get weapons because, again, we had kind of went to a certain point, but there were more Iraqi forces to the north, and you had, I guess, Iraqi civilians, for lack of better terms, wanted to get armed up mm-hmm. and get it on with these guys, and were yeah. trying to hit us up like, hey, man, give us some weapons and stuff like that, so... It it didn't really sit with you because you, you didn't understand all the demographics of what yeah. was going on with that country, and you know as far as how they were ruled and everything else. But yeah, you had, a, you know, it's, I'm glad you brought that up, Mark. Because yeah, you had those guys that would hit the checkpoints up, want to get armed up, and and uh, they wanted get some payback the and, and they
1: wanted to score some points. Yeah. And I I totally get it now. Yeah, hundred percent. to get more stuff. You know, what I
0: mean, literally yeah. a fleeing enemy as well. <laughs> you know, when, when they've got no one at their doorstep they're total authoritarians, but then you've got, um, you know, they're, they're essentially school bullies, but then you've got the guy, American forces or the coalition or whatever you want to call it, coming in to sort things out. And then they're on the back foot. The little man wants to just get his little punch in as well. So yeah, I, I, can, that. I, I get it as yeah. well. And I would, if I could have been, yeah. I would have been, hey, there's go and check that building over there. There's probably a few AKs over there or grenades or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and then, in terms of the, the the actual ground offensive, it was it was only it was relatively short, wasn't it? How did it how did it kind of peter out or peter to an end?
1: Well, I mean, I think we were moving pretty quickly and accomplishing a lot, and I we just got one day. It was like, hey, we're we're stopping. Yeah, this, this is we're not going any further. They're they're making a stop, and I remember that uh, one street sign. On the hardball, there it said, you know, how far it was to Baghdad or whatever. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, we're right right there. (laughs) You know, (laughs) let's let's keep going. You know, but uh, it we word came up that we're done, we're stopped, and I think it might have had something to do with the uh, imagery of uh, the uh, Highway of Death and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, I think the it's almost like when you you see someone in the ring you know, just getting a beat down. And at some point, everybody, everybody who's watching, is like, Hey man, you know, enough's enough. That's not how we felt. We wanted to, you know, finish it and be done with it. But, uh, I, am sure that had a lot to do with it. You know what I mean? The public, um, uh, you know, the public may not have been a, behind it quite as much anymore. Like enough is enough kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Um, like you said that, that analogy of, uh, a, a fighter who is punched drunk, but is just still getting punched. It's like, yeah. Um, but I think I think what you said there about you you guys still wanted to get after it. it definitely holds some value though because, um, what what happens afterwards when when these guys are allowed to to get a bit more confidence back in their in their bones they they start getting over, uh, over aggressive again, don't they, and they start to persecute the Kurds up to the north and yeah, um, the Shiites. The Sunnis, um, I think it's the Shiites and, and the Sunnis they were kind of aligned together and um. Mm-hmm. but yeah um there was something as well that I was doing in my research and, and uh I think it was Schwarzkopf. he's who's uh, the total gr- uh, the ground commander he actually met with Saddam's guys and and negotiated that the Iraqi national Gu- uh what what'd you would you call them the uh, Republican guard Republican guard um they could they, they were allowed to start doing um Air moves again, and then after a couple of days, they were allowed to start doing um, gunship moves again. So I, I think there was something there, almost like political talk that was kind of. Uh, it would have been wiped out if these guys were allowed to keep keep going and finish the job. But um, as you said, uh, Mark, I think there was political will to to stop then and there. Um, what do you think about that? If you if you had kept going, do you think that the Republican Guard would have would have been you know taken out or, or halted, uh, in terms of building back up that, that confidence and strength?
1: Well, I think for sure. Uh, well, it, I, I don't know, but maybe some of those persecutions wouldn't have occurred. Um, maybe it might not have been something that reoccurred again as quickly as it did. I don't know. Um, you know, it's just like anything else, you know, we're, we're not the policymakers, you know we're not the diplomats we're just just grunts but that's how we felt and we just wanted to uh, we wanted to get up there and and keep going be done with it
0: yeah and um and, and what happened then afterwards what what was the next phase of the um of used guys's operational tempo what did that look like
2: I think we hung out <clears throat> didn't we hang up out in Iraq for a little bit Yeah, we stayed forward uh, for quite a
1: while, yeah.
2: We we got the pause point because, again, the logistics, if I recollect correctly, obviously we flew up there, but I think we drove out of there, deuce and a halfs or something, um, trying to get people out. So, again, it's it's all logistical moves, right? So it's easy to get, and why we didn't helo people back, I don't know. Um, But I think we ended up getting a bunch of vehicles up that part so we could get everyone together convoy operations and here we go um driving back down south into into saudi arabia but that's where it gets kind of fuzzy for me mark is we had to have made some more jumps back to cobalt towers at some point but i don't know if we drove all the way there or how we i I don't remember how we got there
1: yeah we were we were trucked everywhere after that we did a couple of uh, foot movements uh from areas where the trucks were gathering but other than that we drove all the way back we hit the uh the one stop then we made it back to uh well camp all-american first right
2: and then back to uh the airfield i don't remember i just remember going i remember we hit cobalt towers because basically that was the first time we'd showered in like 70 some odd days (laughs) um they were kind enough to give us a new uniform which oh by the way so on your uh name u.s army and an 82nd airborne patch because you're going back home and here's your cool uh suede jungle boots that you didn't have for the entire time but we're going to give you a set now to wear home yeah <laughs> okay
1: i guess they probably they yeah. did want our parents probably seeing us the way we actually were <laughs> you know but uh yeah. um,
2: look, looking all rough
0: look presentable yeah. for the american public going Oh home man. and yeah. all smiles
1: um yeah we, yep. we didn't look so hot when we came back but you know how quick Everybody's was it?
0: Right. How quick was it before you ended up getting back home? Uh, and I'm sure, obviously, you, you deployed very fast, so I'm I'm sure at the time, your family would have been, you know, very worried uh, about what was potentially going to happen. And there was there was news, uh, you know, news articles saying that you were expected to lose one in three guys. Um, hmm. So I'm sure that your family was, you know, must have been pulling their hair out. How was it? How long was it before you got home? and, and what was the reception like for you?
2: I remember, at least for me, Mark, I don't know for you, I got home, believe it or not, on all days, uh, April 1st.
1: That's when I got it back.
2: Yeah, yeah. so we might have been on the same 747. April Fool's Um, Day. Yeah, April Fool's Day, so jokes on this guy. And, yeah, there was – I don't know how they got the word back to everybody. Um, I don't ever remember – like I said, I remember making a phone call back in 90 um, at Camp All-American. I don't know how they reached out to the families to let them know but I, I know my parents were there when i landed at pope um yeah
1: my mom and dad first yeah
2: yeah but I, I don't i have no clue yeah. how they found out um i don't ever remember calling them writing a letter uh because i think once we left i think once we left camp all american i don't remember getting any mail from then on out do you Mm-mm. no yeah. i think they were, so, i think
1: they maybe brag knew that we were coming back relatively soon, but it would have been yeah. almost three months by the time we got back. And uh, it, it looked just like uh, the Heartbreak Ridge um, scene on the tarmac with planes Eastwood oh, yeah. coming back. That's what it looked like. You know, it was really <laughs> yeah. nice and got to see our parents and spent, spent a little bit with them. We had to go back and do some debriefing and some other things. But then I think two days later, if they were able to ha- hang around, we could go with them, uh, yeah. have a long weekend. So it yep. was a good it was good returning back because all of our families were there yeah i think i have yeah. video of that somewhere i have to maybe put
2: that up on these days Damn. that'd be a good find yeah
0: yeah so. and, and then um obviously post-deployment you you must have had some leave built up and and um did you guys do anything special with that time or or was it just spent at home kind of relaxing and you know winding down um
2: back into normal life i think you know here's the thing i don't really remember my leave time i i think i did go back actually i know i did because i think i might have spoke at my little brother's school about it um but really what i remember if you want to say post-deployment was i went to ranger school shortly thereafter because somewhere in there they said hey there's no pre-ranger and that was one of the prereqs you had to do before going down to ranger school because you got to think the whole army was pretty much shut down and uh, yeah. yeah, I jumped I jumped on that bandwagon. I was like, <laughs> no suffering before the suffering? Yeah, sign this guy up. We'll go knock that thing out.
1: Yeah, I don't so, think either
2: one of us took a long leave. I, I don't, yeah. I don't believe I, so. I don't really remember my leave uh, because it was shortly thereafter. I think um, June, I was down at Benning going to Ranger School. So we got back in April. Yeah, two months later, I was down at Benning. So I don't,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, in, um, in the 82nd, and I don't know if they still, I'm sure they still do it. They had those training cycles and deployment ready cycles. Mm-hmm. So you, a lot of us couldn't go, you know, a lot of the units wouldn't be able to go anyway because it wasn't your turn. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I don't know how they worked that when we got I don't, back.
1: I don't remember, but I don't remember taking mm-hmm. a, taking a leave. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I remember, I, I think we went back. I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah. It was like a long a weekend long, or something. Yeah. 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 yeah might've been.
0: Damn, we would have been all over that. I think I remember, I remember getting something crazy like six weeks leave. after Wow. My, yeah. <laughs> fucking yeah. insane man to leave um i think i don't know how they work it out i think we get our normal allocation of leave and then we get an added day of leave for every eight days you're deployed something like that on top of it so yeah we had a fucking lot I had, uh, about six weeks after my first deployment and yeah uh, we didn't have anything about like five that. after no. after my second <laughs> fucking hell that is insane um in terms of uh, in terms of your your unit then obviously you've just came back was it were these guys still on? Were these guys put on on a, a notice to move in case something kicked off again, because obviously the war was essentially over. But you know, Saddam was still there, He's still in power. It wasn't likely that anything was going to happen. But were these guys still stood up, ready to move if anything was to happen?
2: Like I said, I, I left in June to go down to Fort Benning, so I don't know, Mark. I don't know. I don't remember anything beforehand. Us being um, really postured because I think shortly thereafter we turned in all of our stuff. So, i.e., like our chocolate chip uniforms, oh, I don't think we held on to that stuff too long, did we? No.
1: And we just went back to, to business as usual. Yeah. You know, I think uh, after you got back from uh, your training, we had a, a, a training deployment out to Arkansas or something. I mean, it was just like business as usual. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, uh, no, the answer is no to that. Yeah. We didn't do anything special. They just put us right back in the, in the cycle. I think they, since they did learn a lot, you know, how quickly that we could get there and how quickly everything could happen. And they probably worked a lot of bugs out with that particular operation. Uh, I would think So they weren't yeah. as worried about it anymore.
0: Yeah. The chocolate factory keeps on churning. Um, Roger that. that's it. Yeah, man. in terms of, uh, in terms of Iraq then, so it's been 30 years since that, that initial conflict kicked off. Um, Iraq's been at war many times before uh, Desert Storm and they've obviously been at war with a bunch of different people post-Desert Storm. Um, how much interaction, Rick, you mentioned at the start of the start of the show that you'd been there, you know, a bunch since. Um, how much interaction have you had with Iraq um, and how much do you think that the the impact of What desert storm was had any effect on the destabilization of of the country and had a you know a downward spiral to what what ended up becoming of the country
2: i don't think desert storm did because if you think about it we never really went into baghdad we didn't do anything you know to saddam we really didn't affect um if you want to say the iraqi leadership in that essence yeah we hit strategic targets to the south Really, the mission was repatriate Kuwait, which we did. Uh, and I guess somewhere in the political gains, you know, taking over Iraq during that time wasn't one. So, I, yes, did we affect them militarily as far as affecting their, uh, their forces, their equipment status, stuff like that? Sure. But as far as a political level, we never targeted, you know, the hierarchy up there. So, as far as Desert Storm, it, it did its job into – uh, stop an Iraqi aggression into Kuwait, repatriate Kuwait, and then, you know, let the Kuwaitis take control back of their own country.
0: And Mark, obviously, you mentioned you spent seven years in. So, obviously, by the time the the invasion of two thousand and three had come around, you would have been out by then. Would that be correct?
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so- um, after that, then I went to a um, a combat brigade team in um, the reserves, and that's where I finished out my final two and a half. So yeah, I would have been out by then. I uh, was in the the uh, in law enforcement by then. Yeah.
0: And Rick, how much did the um, how much did the the war in two thousand and three resemble what what you you were a part of in ninety
2: one? Uh, none. None. Nothing. No. No, because again, it was you're looking at apples and oranges, right? Um, so again, I didn't do. My first rotation in Iraq till actually 05. so January was 05 when I was there. Just because I was in the schoolhouse uh, and I didn't actually go back operational till 04. so uh, get back there in 05. I mean, infrastructure is already set up. Technology is way above where we were at, you know, where we were at before. Um, so it, it it doesn't compare. You know, we went when we got you know to Saudi Arabia in 1990, we had nothing literally nothing you had your rucksack and your duffel bag that was it and that was your infrastructure um you know comparatively to when you look at you know kind of some of the things that KBR set up and heck PXs and all this other you know infrastructure there i mean i don't even remember when the PX rolled in what little there was there mark at camp all american but it was a ways down the road mm-hmm. um, so it was just a different time different era different um thought process technologies you know it was let's just say a lot less in uh in 90 and obviously you had a lot more back in uh in five when i got back over there
1: yeah and as well as they performed too and and uh and what they had to deal with i was i couldn't been more proud of everybody um that we were with there rick you know Mm -hmm. it was it was tough um you know, not a whole lot of information coming in when it did, it was usually something we had to act on like two minutes from now. And, um, you know, nothing of any kind of comfort whatsoever. And Mm-mm. the way they performed, man. Yeah. Very Stellar. proud, Very yeah. proud. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, that's probably a, a good way to, to kind of close up here. So my last sort of question would be looking back now, it's been 30 years. Um, how do you remember, like how, what do you, what's your, burning memories of, of the Gulf War and and maybe the legacy of
2: it. So really for me, um, and I'm going to give you two, right, because I think it's important we'll do, if you want to say Gulf War, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and then we'll say the GWAT. So really when you look at our whole driving purpose, or at least for me, hey, we went over Desert Shield, Desert Storm, um, Iraq invade and Kuwait, you know, repatriation. Granted, we were more, our target was to the uh, the west of that. And we accomplished our um, our targets like we needed to to make that whole operation, you know, happen. Did I really think about, hey, I'm here taking the fight to the enemy? Nope. Fast forward, you know, with the GWAT, yeah, that was my mindset then. Hey, we're hitting strategic targets over in Iraq, but to me, we're keeping the fight over there, not bringing it home. So just a, a different thought process, at least for me, seeing both theaters different times, Um wasn't really that, you know, wasn't thinking about keeping the fight there in 1991 mm-hmm. uh, more of, Hey, we're here to try to help out Kuwait because these guys got um basically taken over where, you know, Oh, five on to 16. When I finally, you know, my last rotation out of there, you're keeping the fight there. So it's just a different, different mindset. Yeah.
0: And, and Mark, same, same sort of question. Looking back now, it's been, it has been 30 years. What, what's your uh, lasting memories of the Gulf
1: war? I think when we got back and, um, you know, we're kind of cycling out and like you said, there was a, you know, PX there, whatever it was, it wasn't, but it was something that, and I, I just remember having something that you could do and, and have something that was a little more, uh, geared towards morale building only right but then I remember you know there was a lot of folks that you know cash a check in that short period of time as well um, and we started hearing some of the briefings on that and uh, you know um, that that's probably my biggest takeaway because you know we were very successful very quickly and, and I always had you know Rick and, and the guys with me and um, we were we were all good. You know what I mean? That's my biggest takeaway. I think, especially now after 30 years, you realize that those guys were just as young as we were then. And you look at some of the pictures that Rick and I post, Holy crap, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? These yeah, your young the part- studs. Oh man. <laughs> so yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. There's, I don't know the exact number, but it was, uh, you know, definitely worth mentioning that, you know, there's a lot of folks that, that did cash that check
0: yeah yeah um of course and listen guys thank you very much uh, for taking the time out of your evening to to sit down and do this episode It's is it's been amazing for me uh, as an absolute history buff to to dig into uh use guys's uh past and and get the get it from the horse's mouth so to speak um but like i like i said thank you very much i'm very appreciative and grateful to to have got to hear it from you um so if you're listening, uh, go follow On The Rage podcast. Uh, you can get Rick at uh, Warhawk on, on Instagram and on Instagram for yourself, Mark. It's Kelly Defense. Is that right?
1: Roger that. Yeah. Yep. Warhog Tactical yep. Kelly Defense on On The Rage podcast. Yeah, man. And it's hey, love what you're doing here. Love your show, buddy. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate having us. Yeah, man. Uh,
0: and, you know, that's available on all platforms, Facebook and yeah, you've got YouTube and it stuff is. as well. So make sure you Facebook, go- Facebook,
2: YouTube, Twitter. We're on all that silly <laughs> yeah, stuff, man. God damn. Try, yeah, trying man. to figure out how to market. So oh, if you damn. figure out an answer or if one of your viewers listeners knows some secret to beat the algorithm, <laughs> please send us a message and let us know. I've not, not yeah.
0: figured it out yet. Um, oh, man. <laughs> and two platforms is enough for me. I'm just on the YouTube yeah. and Instagram. Uh, and I, I don't even have a personal page anymore. It's just too much to deal with. Since I started yep. this- i've became a, oh, yeah. a a goddamn therapist the, amount, the <laughs> amount of messages i get uh is is, is pretty insane and you uh, know it's always great to to answer them and listen if you send me a message i'll answer you and i'll give you my my honest truth and try and help you out but yeah it's cool the amount of reach that uh something like this does have listen people follow me from all over the fucking board i'm sure you guys are the same literally it's it's, yeah. it's insane 37
1: and, countries i think where we're at now yeah
0: i'm about the same yeah. it's it's insane but uh, like I said, guys, thank you very much and uh, have a good evening. Hey, Thanks, you buddy. Thank Love you very your much.
1: show, man. Thanks, pal.